Hello, this is Jesse Weiler for Adoramus Bulletin. On this episode, I speak with Father Thomas Kosick, who is a priest of the Diocese of Fall River, Massachusetts, and he is a member of the Society for Catholic Liturgy, and recently wrote an article for Adoramus Bulletin titled, In the Name of Liturgy and Theology and Piety, the Integrated Liturgical Vision of Alexander Schmemann. If you don't know much about Alexander Schmemann, this is a great introduction, and I highly encourage you to go read a little bit more of his works. So without further ado, another Adoramus interview. I am here with Father Thomas Kosick, who is a priest of the Diocese of Fall River, and he serves as a chaplain to Cape Cod Hospital, and you are a member of the Society for Catholic Liturgy. Father, how are you doing this morning? Doing well. Thank you, Jesse. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. I'm very excited about this article, uh, mostly because as somebody who is in the realm of liturgy, I hear Alexander Schmemann a lot. But, uh, you know, I haven't had the opportunity to do any type of deep dive. So this is, for me, at least personally, a very very good introduction uh, to him that's a little more detailed that will then inspired me to then do some more research and some more understanding. So for those of us uh, who maybe are not as well versed in in Schmemann, can you just give me a a little a brief introduction to who he is and 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 how. how his work has been so quintessential to, you know, sacramental theology. Sure. Alexander uh, Schmemann was a Russian Orthodox priest. He was born in Estonia 100 years ago. In fact, uh, this past September 13th marked the 100th anniversary of his birth. Uh, He came to the United States in the early 1950s and uh, served as dean of St. Vladimir's Orthodox uh, Seminary in uh, Yonkers, New York. And um, he's known as uh, a pioneer of liturgical theology. He um, made a distinction between uh, a theology of the liturgy, that is, looking at the liturgy as one field or one branch of theology, he distinguished that from liturgical theology, which is theology that derives directly from the church's liturgy. In other words, liturgy is not just a branch of theology, it's the very condition of theology. Uh, now, let me say that I, up until a few months ago, I was no expert on Alexander Schmemann. I had heard of him, like you, uh, from my reading about the liturgy and liturgical studies. But I, other than he was not really much more than just a name to me. So I I had fun uh, doing the research for this article. I learned a lot. So, you know, I'm far from a Schmemann expert. Uh, We're kind of in the same boat as far as that goes. So my my question is, um, I I have a lot of questions. (laughs) Uh But my my first question is, you mentioned in your article that he flipped the understanding of liturgical theology upside down and or inside out rather. And what what do you mean by that? And what was it that he was trying to do that was that revolutionized our thought process as liturgical theologians? Okay. Well, up until about the mid well, maybe the nineteen thirties, nineteen forties, with the liturgical movement in the West. Up until that time, uh, liturgical studies in both the Catholic and the Orthodox churches pretty much concerned uh, 
the rubrics and the ceremonies, learning how to celebrate the liturgy properly, correctly. Uh, but the liturgy as a subject of theology uh, was not really uh, a thing until, you know, the, the dawning of the liturgical movement. So um, it was, it was uh, what, what Schmemann did when I say he turned it upside down was that he, he didn't like that <clears throat> the liturgy was simply a branch of theological inquiry. He, uh, he said that liturgy is the very condition of doing theology. In other words, liturgical theology as he saw it, it's neither liturgiology, that would be the study of the development of liturgical rites, nor is it a theology of liturgy. It's rather theology that springs directly from the liturgy that is that is implicit in the church's experience of worship. So for him, the real liturgists would not be academic theologians in their studies, but ordinary people in the pews, um, as personified by uh, Father Aidan Cavanaugh's Mrs. Murphy. He, he writes about this fictional Mrs. Murphy, the, the pious woman in the pews who's allowing her mind to be shaped, her heart to be formed by the church's worship of God, that she's the liturgist in the sense that Schmemann has in mind. I think we're all familiar with uh, those nuances in the church, right? So some, most, uh, most of the, the world see a religious sister and they call her a nun when we know that there's a distinction between religious sisters and nun. And then now in the world today, if you are involved in any type of ministry around the mass or a priest or whatever, you're a liturgist yeah. and that's, but, but I am somebody who attends the liturgy. And so it seems to me that even though this was kind of a revolutionary thought process, it really hasn't even really reached Mrs. Murphy in the, in the pew yet uh, <laughs> because, you know, we're still trying to get people to understand their role in the mass, but it, this is a it's a good starting point. My other mm -hmm. question is: This seems like because you know he was Russian Orthodox. It seems like this theology is uh, trans ritual, right? So this is not just something through the Roman Catholic Church and that you know oh the Pope said this so we're going to do this, but it's it's quintessential to who we are as children of God, and it has nothing to necessarily do with what right you are. So. I I found that very fascinating because right. here we I have mean, here we have this person from a very distinct category, you know, allowing us to think of something very universally as as a church. Yes, uh, being a, a Russian Orthodox priest, Schmemann's focus would have been the Byzantine rite, the Byzantine liturgy, um, but but his insights apply across the board to to all rites of the church. They're, they're not relevant only to Orthodox Christians, but to all Christians, uh, all churches that have a liturgical tradition. And to an extent, even the historically non-liturgical churches, because of his understanding of what the liturgy can offer us. Um, so, I mean, I guess bottom line is Schmemann said that liturgy is what makes talk about God possible. Okay, because God reveals himself and acts in the liturgy of the church. So uh, 
Yeah, I mean, he, he would have thought it useful to compare different rites or trace the evolution of initiation rites or hymnography. I mentioned this in the article. Um, but his concern went deeper. What can these things teach us about what it means to give thanks, to bless, to consecrate, to offer sacrifice? Um, <clears throat> it, it's For him, liturgical theology is about explaining, clarifying, elucidating the very meaning of worship. And so, so it's, its subject is not any particular liturgical, liturgical rite, but really theology, the, the revelation of, of God in Christ as, under, as you know, handed on in the church. And the actual practice of, of her worship, that's where scripture and tradition come alive. So this is where, this is why I say that uh, liturgical theology has its place uh, among all among all Christians. Mm-hmm. One of the points I really liked in this section that you titled "Sacramentally Real," you talk about how liturgical theology has been described as a lived eschatology, which I love and to- totally kind of makes me think about things in a different way. But that Schmemann des- defines the church as a place of revelation of the kingdom. And that the kingdom of God is among and inside us. Now, one thing about that is if you look at that from one angle, that kind of sounds like this, this trope of, oh, great, you know, that God is everywhere. The kingdom is around us, you know. And to that degree, if you, if you use that logic, then the rubrics and everything around don't matter because the kingdom is everywhere and around us and everything. But that's not what he means by that. Can you clarify how, you know, we're not throwing out the baby with the bathwater here. We're not just saying, oh, okay, you know, we're being, you can't be overly scrupulous about rubrics, but at the same time, understanding the hierarchy and the importance and the collaboration and mutual enrichment of rubrics and this theology that we're thinking. Sure. In one place, Shemayman does say that um, he describes the, the church as the kingdom of God among and inside us. But he also says elsewhere that, uh, the church is the place of the revelation of the kingdom. So it's it's not limited just to the subjective, you know, faith of the believer, the individual Christian. Um, but this, this points to a, a, a key theme that I want to emphasize. If Schmemann's liturgical theology is anything, it is lived eschatology. His perspective is always with a view to the future kingdom of God, the kingdom to come that's already experienced. And here's where we get away from this notion of, well, I don't need the church because the kingdom of God is within me. No, his, his perspective is always with a view to the kingdom to come that is already experienced in this world, precisely in the church and in the church's liturgy. The Eucharist for him is the church's entrance into heaven. And this is... Um, this is a theme that the Eastern Church has uh, highlighted uh, more strongly than in the West. Um, we in the West, for, for various reasons, and it, it's good, we emphasize the Eucharist, the, 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 the celebration of the Eucharist as the sacramental representation and offering of Christ's once-for-all sacrifice on Calvary. The Mass is the sacrifice of the cross made present here and now upon our altars sacramentally. 
Whereas the East tends to emphasize the divine liturgy, especially the Eucharist, as participation in the life of the kingdom to come, here and now, experienced, you know, in the in the liturgical celebration. Both are valid, but they're two sides of the same coin. So th- this is, but being a, a, from the East, um, being you know an Orthodox priest, it's easy to understand why why that would have been Schmemann's emphasis. In fact, mm-hmm. he calls the Eucharist the sacrament of the kingdom. One of the other things that I, I really love here, because, you know, uh, in my work with liturgy, it's the one thing I'm trying to really express to people and get them to understand. Um, you, you say in a later section entitled Ecclesial Trinity, uh, where he, he kind of uh, has a distaste for people thinking that the Eucharist is one of the means of sanctification, but people don't understand that it's the quintessential, the essential or pivotal or primary uh, means of sanctification. And then, you know, that then leads me to believe that all other things, while good, you know, e.g. devotions, you know, uh, living a liturgical life and all that stuff are, are derivative from the source of the Eucharist. So is that consistent? Is that, is, am I picking that up correctly? Yes, I think so. Um, here's another insight that the Eastern Church has emphasized. Uh, it's actually it's an idea that was recovered uh, in in the West in the 1920s because of the liturgical movement, because of Ressourcement, this uh, this movement to return to the sources of theology and scripture. Uh, a fresh reading of the church fathers, both Latin and Greek. Uh, the idea that not only does the church make the Eucharist, meaning, you know, that Christ uh, acting through his his priests uh, confects the, the Eucharist, becomes present to us sacramentally, but the Eucharist makes the church, you know, the, the Eucharist and the church and the kingdom are, are inseparable. They're like a, like a trinity. So um, that's 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 a patristic insight that was recaptured and reemphasized um, in the in the West because largely because of liturgical movement that the Eucharist is the very reason for the Church why the Church exists you know to glorify God praise and worship God above all in the Eucharistic sacrifice of her Lord and her bridegroom. And um, yeah, so the you cannot really speak of the church in, in the full sense of that word without, without the Eucharist. One of the other sections I found just fascinating towards the end here, you talk about the difference between reform and rediscovery. And Obviously, those words have their own different nuances, and depending on where you are in the church, I think your perspective on those things is different. Um, now, we're in a period right now, at least in, in the Roman uh, right, that we've had the reform, but we didn't have the rediscovery, and maybe we're going through that phase right now, and arguably we were going through it during the liturgical movement itself. But can you explain the nuance and what Schmemann says about those two things and, and how they uh, are separate, and you know, may, but also how they relate to each other? Well, Schmemann, he did not 
he was not an advocate of ritual reform. Okay, he he wanted to emphasize the liturgy as central to our life in Christ, and he wanted to see improvement. And his work brought about uh, a great deal of improvement in the celebration of the liturgy of the Orthodox Church in America, especially. But he was not an advocate of broad uh, ritual reform. He he didn't think that um, that his church needed a reform that would restore the the essence of the liturgy. Um, uh, somewhere he writes, "Yes, our liturgy carries with it many non-essential elements, many archaeological remnants. Okay, so things that may have made sense to previous generations, but." Their meaning has become obscured over over the centuries. But he goes on, but rather than denouncing them in the name of liturgical purity, we must strive to rediscover and help others rediscover the lex orandi, the, the law of prayer, which none of these accidental ingredients has managed to obscure. So the time is not for external liturgical reform, but for a theology and piety drinking again from the eternal and unchanging sources of liturgical tradition. Uh, that, that's a quote of, of Schmemann. So, um, you know, to, to say that something is in need of reform mean, implies that it, at some point uh, it, it has suffered a degradation and now we have to restore its uh, basic contours or... Uh, prune it, uh, you know, whether it be the calendar or liturgical rites. Um, the council, uh, Second Vatican Council, uses the word renovation or renewal. Um, but let me, I, I suppose, without, you know, repeating myself uh, I, uh, too much, I just want to say that Schmemann was not an advocate of, of the liturgical revolution in any way. Um, you know, he he would have wanted the ceremonial rip to remain largely uh, untouched because he understood the liturgy as something received from tradition, not something that was planned and imposed from above. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, one thing I'm reminded of, I took a class with, with uh, Dr. David Fagerberg, who was heavily influenced by Schmemann and yes. Aidan Kavanaugh, and he talks about uh, the liturgy as a window, not something that needs to be properly dressed and created, but something that you look through. And mm-hmm. I think this goes back to this lived eschatology that we were talking about, is that um, if if you're using something <laughs> the way it's supposed to be used, you're looking through the liturgy towards that the eschaton, right, the lived mm-hmm. eschatology, then all of those other things should then be appropriately, they would appropriately fall into place, or they, that would naturally happen. Because, you know, you know, doing the world as it is meant to be done, so to speak, so yes. to speak. Uh, if you're doing those things properly, according to their, uh, you know, telos and and how they're oriented, then everything will else fall in place to facilitate what that is being uh, used for, right? So, I think that all is very clear and it makes sense to me, and uh, and it's a very good perspective on all of this as well. And and I would argue that maybe that wasn't the the sense from any of the figures of the liturgical movement either. Well, they were they were simply just trying to say, hey, look at this, you know. Yes, this this was a, a tension within the liturgical movement. Um, do we, on the one hand, do we 
modify and adapt the liturgy to suit the perceived needs of contemporary men and women of modern man? Uh, or do we try to bring modern man to, uh, you know, to, to, to be properly formed by the liturgy received from tradition? <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, who, who, which needs to change? <laughs> right. Us, and culture, I think- our mentality? Or, the, or should the liturgy be shaping that, or should we be shaping the liturgy to suit us? There's this, this great uh, address that Pope Paul VI gave the Wednesday before the, the Sunday of the first implementation of the new missal, and uh, he calls us profane intruders. And you could, you could really get the, that tension in his address. And he talks about, I mean, the way I describe it is there's kind of like a sorrowful joy, like a sorrow for what's lost, but a joy for the hope of what we can see. And he talks about the liturgy being like a painting with a, with a uh, varnish on it. And the varnish protects the painting, but you can't really see all of the true colors because there's this layer or barrier in between. So if you take the the, the uh, varnish off and you see all the true colors, now it's not as protected. And so he talks about the, that tension, and I think that's truly there. And I think that's something that we should all think about, regardless of what actually happened historically. So, uh, Father, thank you so much for this article and this peek into the life of, of Shmeiman. And it's, we, we hope to have much more coming from you for on Honoramus Bulletin in the future. And we thank you for your time and your, your commitment to this. You're very welcome, Jesse. Thank you for having me. Okay. God bless. God bless. Bye-bye.